It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 2, Episode 4, starring Karen Black, originally aired on October 16th, 1976. Hello, my name is Keith, and I'm back again. And joining me, as always, is my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. And might I remind all of our thousands of listeners, this show definitely does not give you cancer. (laughs) That will make sense in a few minutes. Joining us again uh, for his sixth time, we're going to have to stop tallying you pretty soon. You're getting up there, is our good pal, Chili. Hello, Chili. Hey, hey, hey. The other third co-host guests, they're they're embarrassed. They just have to make themselves more desperate and willing to show up for any of these terrible shows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they got to stop cherry picking if they want to be uh, prolific. Really? So it's uh, it's October 16th, 1976, uh, Saturday Night Live. The sort of hidden story is that this episode was actually not shot at Studio 8H. Studio 8H was turned over to the election coverage. So they're actually over at Studio 1 in Brooklyn. Now, this isn't totally obvious, but there are some times uh, you can see... Uh, a few spots that look a little different. I just, I, I never assumed it was a different studio. I just totally wrote it off as, you know, production design stuff. Yeah, I assume the audience shot was probably just, they moved the camera to a different spot than what we normally see. But yeah, that makes a bit of sense, I suppose. Some of the lighting looked a little bit different than normal. So maybe that could be a count of it too. Yeah, certainly in hindsight, when you say it, Keith, it's like, oh, well, okay, yeah. So I think it's one of the things, if you know it, it's glaring, but I was still kind of impressed how it came across as looking like the right spot, you know. Spoiler alert, they don't have the typical ending either, which I think that would have made it stand out a lot more. Because for the monologues, they normally do closer shots of the guest, but they always do the wider shot for the finale when they're waving goodbye to everybody, but they didn't have that. So that's one of the first things I noticed at the end is like, huh, they didn't have the usual goodbyes. Yeah, and I hadn't thought of that. I thought that they might have just run long in time, but you're you're probably right there. He's got a good point, Keith. Yeah. That's why I'm here six times. I mean, this is why we have you back. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Check yeah, uh, Karen Black, the star of tonight's show, John Prine, the musical guest. Um, So we're just going to give a a quick intro into Karen Black. So she's born in 1939 in Illinois. She came to fame for playing sort of off-the-wall characters in non-traditional movies. And that typically means uh, you're you're indies and you're you're away from Hollywoods. Uh, The big one that people tend to remember from that period is uh, Easy Rider. She also did five easy pieces where she got an Oscar nomination and a Golden Globe win. Then jumped over to the big budget stuff like uh, Airport 75, Great Gatsby, Na- and Nashville. Everyone who was living at the time was in Nashville. At this point, her last film was called Burnt Offerings with Betty Davis and Oliver Reed. And it was due to be released days after this show aired. So on the uh, 18th of October. I know Karen Black from Trilogy of Terror, a classic 1970s horror film burnt offerings i have seen but i really just don't remember it super well yeah i i know her as more of a, a horror movie lady for me it sounds like she was in every movie that i keep meaning to watch but just never get around to it <laughs> yeah no kidding eh? but yeah she did have quite a prolific horror movie run and and some of that continued well into the uh 
well into the 2000s, really. Rob Zombie's, uh, what was it, House of... How many corpses were in that house? Yeah, a thousand, yes. And uh, Invaders from Mars from Mm. uh, 1986 is an amazing movie. Toby Hooper uh, directed it of Texas Chainsaw Massacre lineage. And she is, uh, that's my favorite Karen Black movie. So she's definitely, uh, she's definitely different from what we we usually get as, as hosts as far as body of work. So let's jump to the cold opening. Jane Curtin comes out and announces that uh, Chevy is back, and it looks like she won't be doing update anymore. And she even got letters. She's crestfallen. And Chevy is back to say something important, and he comes out in a semi-coma-like state in a wheelchair that's being pushed by Belushi. Belushi says he seems okay and dumps him off the stage onto the floor. Then Chevy gives the live from New York at Saturday night. The audience really popped when Chevy came out. And at one point, I could hear a crewman say something like, Bob, just pin it on him or something like that really loud. But uh, there wasn't much to remark about in this cold open for me. Talk about your uh, change of uh, stage stuff now that you mentioned that. Did you notice how horribly he was lit? He wasn't lit at all. Oh, yeah, no lighting. Speaking of crestfallen, me too. Yeah, I lit a candle for you there. I was feeling kind of bad for you. Yeah, I thought this was a very odd opening uh i did feel bad just seeing chevy back even though i did like what he's done from what i've seen you know seeing that the show didn't dip in quality without him in fact of the episodes i saw the best one was the one where he was absent it kind of felt a little bit like a bit of a step back having him come back and yeah the crew uh the crew members saying something like just light him or pin it on him it was mm. so poorly lit and where he did recently you know, come off uh, a questionable injury i guess we'll say I wonder if it's something where they had some form of mat or something for him to fall on and they just really, really didn't want people to see it because it's, you know, it's not funny if you see Chevy being protected. So I, it made me wonder about that. Karen Black comes out for the monologue now with her young nine-month-old nine son named Hunter, and it's Hunter Carson, who oddly enough went on to play Bud Bundy in the pilot episode of Married with Children was, of course, later replaced by David Faustino. And young Hunter went on to do some film work and has recently released a documentary. Karen Black, regardless, uh, talks about motherhood. And she said uh, that while she was pregnant, she did a lot of reading and a lot of research into motherhood. And she gives the history of mothers. The first were made of bark and cloth. And then there was the horse-drawn mother, the movable-type mother, the steam-operated mother. And she goes through all these sort of things until she gets to the, uh, I believe it's the all-transistorized mother. And while she's doing this, Hunter is uh, either going for a drink or he's just trying to be cuddled in and and he winds up sitting on her hair. Hunter stole the show, but even without Hunter there, this was uh, funny and really offbeat. I I actually really enjoyed this. Yeah, I like this one too. Karen did fine, especially considering, you know, holding the young fella back there. It was goofy. Like you said, it was offbeat. I laughed at the mother who would catch fire and it's just... (laughs) random old-timey pictures of the moms on fire and doing all this weird stuff so it was weird but you know weird can sometimes be good and you know kudos for the young fella trying to get them titties i uh i didn't like it lads i I thought if if it was weirdly paced i thought the uh the timing of the pictures was slightly off she shouldn't have brought her baby out that was distracting uh this was a really shitty monologue for me uh, so I, I will be a dissenting opinion here. Thought it was one of the worst monologues I remember. Interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was the celluloid mom that burst into flame, Chili. So now we go to Baba Wawa at large. And again, it's Gilda as Baba interviewing Lorraine as Indira Gandhi. Now, uh, we saw Indira Gandhi last, Chili, at Women in Herstory, 
which was an yep. episode you did a while a while back, and we haven't seen this since. So uh, this was a typical Baba Wawa interview. Lorraine playing Indira Gandhi. Obviously, it's problematic, but what I will say on the positive side is this is an amazing impression. Lorraine, with no prosthetics, looks like Indira Gandhi and sounds like her. Certainly shouldn't be done again, can't be done again. So I didn't like this, didn't work for me. Uh, breaking it down to was it funny, the answer is no. Yeah, no, just to your point, it did seem kind of weird that obviously there's issues with having a white woman doing this you know, Indian accent and even the Baba Wawa impression. It's well done. I mean, it doesn't really, it's obviously an impersonation more than an impression. But yeah, as far as was it funny? Not particularly. Uh, maybe it's just the times that we're living in the last, you know, week or two. War crimes and human rights issues aren't quite as funny as maybe they used to be. I mean, I'll keep my comments brief. You know how I feel about Gilda Radner's Barbara Walters. The thousands know that it's a one no joke. Gilda goes out there and does a voice. They, it's a crutch. They rely on it exclusively. Uh, I have nothing to add to the uh, Lorraine part. You guys covered it eloquently. And again, in like Gilda and the writer's defense, in a sense, is they do put together really fun sentences for her to say, and Gilda does it very well. And I'm starting to wonder, is Gilda the one that sort of is the first one to really just be sent out over and over again with the same character? until it's absolutely stale and there's another character she can jump into. So I'm interested to see, because I know what's coming from Gilda, because we're not seeing as much Emily, but now we've got Baba. Is she the Sherry O'Terry of her time? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll simmer down now. Debate 76. It's uh, Ford Carter. It's being hosted by Karen Black. And it's the same three questioners, Jane Curtin, uh, Garrett Morris, and John Belushi. They come out, uh, it's Carter, Aykroyd is Carter. He comes out all smiles. Jerry Ford, it's Chevy Chase. He comes out, he has a needle in his arm. He actually starts to debate, pointing in the wrong direction. They play the national anthem. Ford thinks his name, the t name this to Ford thinks his name that tune. He gets it wrong. So basically, Carter's avoiding questions, and Ford is doing his usual bumbling stuff. They're still beating the drum of Carter being attracted to women. He's asked that question by Jane, and he says he's wearing a mask and breathing on her in his mind, <laughs> which is making Jimmy Carter a very creepy character, which is an interesting take on him. So they're running low on time, so they do the closing remarks together. Chevy was actually above average for me on this one. Aykroyd was below average, as is Carter. I wasn't overly impressed with this. The timing was weird. The It was clunky, I think. Um, and it certainly was nowhere near as good as the last debate the two had. For a sketch that took up, you know, a decent amount of time, I have no real notes about it. It was fine. There were no real screw-ups, but also no big laughs. Yeah, I don't know. I just found this this existed, and that's it. It wasn't particularly good, wasn't particularly bad. Geez, another dissenting opinion in my corner tonight. I actually thought this was really funny. Karen Black as the moderator. I don't know if she was doing an impression or if this is just some character she was doing. But holy shit, she was weird and hilarious. And uh, I really liked the questioners. I, I you know, they, they all did a competent job. And as much as I disliked seeing Chevy back, I, I really do like his bumbling physical comedy with Gerald Ford. It's really grown on me. And Dan continues to be very funny as Jimmy Carter, especially as we have reviewed about what was in his heart and Jane Curtin and... Uh, <laughs> Breathing into her ear in a leather mask. <laughs> was, oh. I'm laughing again just thinking about it. Anyway, I, I thought the performances carried it. It was it was fun for me. <laughs> it, 
they got a lot of mileage out of that Playboy interview because I don't yeah. know how far back the last episode I did with you guys, but you know, it's probably a couple weeks. It's and, been two, yeah, it's been yeah, two. so two weeks, and they're still bringing it up at least once or twice this episode. So they're getting a lot of mileage out of it. it actually, I, I don't know if it the first time we talked, it hadn't yet been released, it had kind of either been leaked or referred to. So the American public might not have even seen it yet. There might be another couple of days before it even hits newsstands. So I think we're going to get another couple of weeks out of it. Uh, sitting in the audience, Karen Black introduces our musical guest tonight, John Prine. So John Prine is a composer, a lyricist, a mailman turned professional musician, big part of the Chicago folk revival. And he's one of these guys, the only way to describe it is the Lou Reed effect that you talked about, Matt, earlier, the the Lou Reed situation, where he might not be that well-known, but he's your favorite folk musician's favorite folk musician. So uh, Prine sings Hello in there. It's a song about getting old, and it was released on John Prine's 1971 album called John Prine. And this is one of those albums that makes a lot of the top albums uh, of recent history lists. And this song has been covered by a lot of people. It's a nice song, but it didn't really do it for me. Um, but I can definitely see why people like it. Uh, not my type of music. You know, obviously, John Prine, very in influential, like you said, towards other musicians. To me, it just, it did sound kind of like a dollar store version of Bob Dylan. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I liked it. This is good. I liked the song. Man, the north end of my city, Halifax, would be coming for your head hearing that you called John Prine and dollar store Bob Dylan. They love that guy down there. It's just not my kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm kind of uh, in that camp aligning a bit with what Keith said. I, I get it, but it's just not for me. It's a little too, it's too folksy. It's a little too, I don't want to say Americana because it's not quite that far. But there's, you know, there's a touch. Uh, but yeah, it's just not my kind of music. But he seems like a cool guy. Yeah, no, I liked it, but it was not. Yeah, I, I, there's, I'll get into it later, but I think this is the wrong show for John Prine, the wrong episode. So we now go to Weekend Update, and Chevy's back, as Jane said, and he's on the phone, and he says he doesn't do impressions, and then he does a Jiminy Cricket impression, and I think it's more about the facial expression than it is about the voice, and then he says, I'm Chevy Chase, and I don't like you. Just a few highlights. 75 people got the swine flu vaccine and died. A hundred and some people died in a plane crash and both labeled as a coincidence. People are looking for a vaccine for uh, Francisco Franco. Counter-program Carter, Gerald Ford, had an interview that appeared in Hustler, and he said he thought it was a uh, magazine for aggressive athletes. And then a joke about Earl Butts, who was featured on last week's episode. He made some uh, racial remarks, and he resigned, and they said he has sickle cell anemia. And then we go to an ad for the Triple Track Razor, and this is repeated from episode one. We've now seen this four times, and I've still yet to laugh. What are you thinking of the first half, gents? Not too much. Huge step back for me. Very disappointed that Chevy's back. Feels like same old weekend update from three, four weeks ago. I'm bummed. For the commercial about the three blades, did they not redo a very similar one where it was the four blades and the fourth blade just ripped the hair out at the root in the early 90s? I could be totally wrong, but I'm positive I remember some sounds, comedy show. That sounds ridiculously familiar that the first three blades basically did nothing and then the fourth like yanked it out. 
Yeah, that it was the same right. type of cartoon. It must have been SNL because otherwise it'd be way too similar to this sketch for another sketch comedy group to pull it off. But it was honestly the same thing. The first one pulls it out. Second one pulls it out. Third one pulls it out. And then the fourth one just rips it out at the root. It must be the same. Uh, I miss having Jane actually try as opposed to Chevy just being charming Chevy. Making the face for Jiminy Cricket is the most effort Chevy has put into an impression since the show began. So then a couple more quick ones. Uh, just as a, it was a good year for farmers and it shows some haystacks and says, Chevy says it's a giant shredded wheat crop. It was this week that Carlo Gambino died and uh, Galenti, his successor, met with Henry Kissinger. Leslie Caron had nothing happen to her that week. And that was all I wrote for the uh, the second half. This was weird. The jokes were really bad, but I actually thought Chevy's delivery was the best it had been in a long, long time. I haven't been hating on him this episode. Uh, It's just a matter for me at this point that I've seen such a superior product that I don't want to go back to using the store brand. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't a great weekend update. Uh, I did like the joke about the 68% of women faked reading the book. But otherwise, it was just you know, some jokes thrown in there. It wasn't awful, but it was nothing to write home about. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's absence makes the heart grow fonder with Chevy, but I'm feeling the same way, Matt. So now we go to Green Cross Cupcakes, and this was written by Michael O'Donohue. And it's Karen Black and John Belushi playing a married couple. She gives him cupcakes. He likes them, and she says that's good, and they don't cause cancer. It's been developed. Gamma Ray Tech Lab has developed these Green Cross cupcakes, and they've been feeding them to rats for quite some time. And all the rats are still alive except one that got its head caught in something. Then it cuts to a quick shot of Tom Davis and Al Franken playing techs carrying cupcakes on a gurney sort of thing through the uh, the tech lab as a siren goes off and the lights are flashing and then chevy comes in as a technician asked to be there by the truth and advertising campaign that says there's no link between cancer and rats yet this sketch was miserable this was terrible i i couldn't believe i was watching this there was nothing to it for me i I found karen black was off belushi was off it was pretty strange uh i really liked when he shoved the entire cupcake in his mouth that was a fun moment for me and chevy chase coming out as a scientist i was almost it was very simpsons it was strangely off-putting uh but i mean I, i don't get me wrong i certainly liked it more than you uh, I, I wouldn't have, I don't give it such a huge miss. This stank. I did laugh at the very beginning. Like, these are great cupcakes. Yes, and they don't cause cancer. I was like, huh. But then it was just, that was the joke stretched out over another four or five minutes. Nothing to it. Yeah, really bad. And an awful ending too. And it had yeah. like three or four awful endings because it had an awful ending. Then Chevy came in, did his bit without a joke in it. That felt like an awful ending. And then I think it carried on for another couple seconds. So it was just really weirdly paced and just not funny. Yeah. What a weird sketch. Our next bit is called Amish, spelled like Amish. And this is a filmed bit uh, featuring John Belushi, Chevy Chase, and Jane Curtin as uh, three Amish people. They're in their kitchen after breakfast. Belushi sees in the newspaper that there had been a bankrupt basically they are slow moving amish cops who do things the amish way they're making their way to a bank without a vehicle to help with the robbery so that when they get to the bank they meet Ackroyd, who tells them the robbery was the previous tuesday and the amish people's work is done i loved this i thought this was hilarious i laughed through the whole thing belushi and chevy and jane were fantastic i'm gonna disagree with you on this one 
I found this boring as hell. The turn, turn, turn bit at the beginning went on too long. A-M-I-S-H, hardly a joke. It just dragged and dragged. <laughs> just them walking. There was a good joke in it where they're at the campfire, I think. And it's like, oh, she's a good woman. Oh, she's 14. I wonder why she hasn't married. I like Dan at the end. I, Dan actually kind of played, I wouldn't say against type, but uh, subdued bank guy. He's like, well, that that happened a week ago. It's it, it's fine. It's taken care of. But otherwise, <laughs> I did not. I found this was just a long, too long for what it was. I get that the joke is that Amish people drag things out, but it doesn't need to be dragged out on TV. You liked it, so maybe I'm wrong, but I did not like this sketch aside from that one joke about her being 14. And I guess Dan's bit at the end. And I agree with Chili uh, entirely. It was not for me. And I didn't think it was a good piece to have on television. I found it really draggy. It's so funny. That's precisely what I liked about it, how draggy it was. And it just it resolves with nothing. It's Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought Belushi and Chevy were, were, were fantastic. It's the most acting I think we've seen Chevy do. Maybe on an episode that felt more fast-paced or more action-packed. Mm-hmm. The fact this is dragged out may have been more of a welcome change, but this also came right after the uh, Green Cross Cupcakes sketch. And so far, there hasn't been a whole lot of hits. So having a dragged out thing in the middle of it probably made it feel even more dragged out. Maybe yeah. on a more, maybe on a better episode or one that was a bit more upbeat. Yeah, I may have enjoyed the slower pace to this one. It's just it, I'm starting to get to the point where anytime I'm doing these SNLs with you and it's anything that's not filmed in the studio, I immediately just want to smash my head through a window. And you didn't even have to see Albert Brooks's stuff. That's the funny part. No, I didn't actually. So our next bit is Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great is played by Karen Black. Ackroyd is her, her, her manservant. And Belushi comes in as a member of the rabble. He says the people are starving and they only have certain things to eat and the list gets quite long. Gilda comes in and tells Catherine that her lover has arrived. And so Catherine leaves. Gilda and Dan have some repartee between the two of them. We then cut to Catherine the Great's room, and there's a horse there. And this actually looks like the same horse that was there for the Diane Cannon episode. So there's some horse-based puns there. This was a terrible sketch, another really bad one. The only thing that saved this for me was the voice of the horse. Oh, I fucking hated it. You know, there's a lot of rocky missteps on this episode. Again, I just thought it was really boring. I didn't think there were any jokes. Uh, It wasn't funny. Like the cast seems game. I don't know if the writers were just checked out this week, but I don't know. I I really don't find this a lot of jokes this episode. This episode is not clever. Sometimes the show is quite clever or, or at least it's trying something or I don't know. Maybe everybody was pissed about the studio. I'm just wild guessing. Uh, this just, but it sucked. Yeah. Oddly, I think I may have enjoyed parts of this maybe a little bit better than you guys. I don't know. In 1976, was there a big demand for Catherine the Great horse fucking jokes? It, it reminds me of the one that we did, uh, the Isidore Duncan sketch. And it's like, I get it. It's a joke. But is this the joke that people are looking for at that time? This is their second Catherine the Great, Great horse joke. They did some during the Ron Nesson episode as well. So the camera comes back and Chevy is uh, either picking his nose or wiping his nose. And he introduces a Gary Weiss film about George Schultz's nightclub called Pips. So Schultz opened in 1962. That was a year before the improv. And it was considered to be the oldest comedy club in the United States. It was a spot where almost all the young up and coming uh, coming New York comedians from the time cut their teeth. He tells a story about a bad comedian they put in front of a crowd of mentally challenged people. And Schultz also talks about some nervous tics he has that uh, he he kind of deals with or treats them 
by fishing. This one was inoffensive. It is leaps and bounds the best Gary Weiss film I've seen. That's not saying much. I think I would actually wouldn't mind seeing a real documentary about this club and about the guy. Even just the way it's presented is this is something that I think I'd be I would find very interesting. But Gary Weiss almost the way it's filmed and like there's no real sound to it like no background music or anything there's he finds a way to make something that i think i'd find interesting boring but i mean this is leaps and bounds better than anything else he's done so far so this gets a thumbs in the middle oh i didn't like this one myself and i didn't like it because of the guy uh generally i like uh gary weiss films uh, overall i would say i like more than i hate and i know what he was trying to do but i find this guy really hammy i find him too quote unquote on uh, like he's doing stand-up shtick while he's talking to the camera, and it really takes me out of it. It didn't feel sincere. Bad taste in my mouth. Didn't like it. Didn't like that guy. And he he was the problem for me. For you, it's been about the realism with these people, like the lady at the joke shop and stuff, eh? It adds something that you can't get out of somebody doing material. Yeah. Even Taylor Mead, who was over the top, was still just an over-the-top guy. Yeah, just like he's just a really vibrant personality. I don't, I don't know this guy. Apologies to his family. He seems like a miserable prick. We then have a Chiron on a gentleman labeled as Elizabeth Taylor's eighth. Um, this was another spot where it was obvious they weren't at uh, Studio 8H. Legitimately, that guy might be a step up from her actual eighth. That guy could have <laughs> a good job and good personality. You never know. <laughs> Larry Fatensky, I think was his name. Fratensky? I forget. Yeah, for Tensky. For Yeah. We now go to John Prine singing Bottomless Lake. This is a song about a family sinking in a bottomless lake while trapped in a car. This is dark humor. I kind of like this one. I didn't like this one. I think typically I would probably enjoy this song more than the other ones. Maybe it's just the, the other one he did. Maybe it's just the mood I'm in. But I found this one was, know, it kind of sounded like something like your friend who always brings a guitar to parties would take out to play and... It just you know, didn't really strike me too much. He was almost doing a wacky voice at times during this, and it really took me out of it. Definitely not a big fan here either, uh, Chili. As I mentioned, I just don't really like this style of music. And, and it's just, it's not an interesting sound to me. And not, you know, music is such a subjective thing. There's uh, there's only so much point to talking about it, really, when, it, when you really get down to it. But I, I just don't find his sound interesting sonically or orally or however you'd want to put it uh, i'm not an expert i don't like the just guy with his guitar shtick i shouldn't say shtick but you know it's uh, it's not uh, it's generally not enough for me unless it's a very unique individual with perhaps a more unique voice or a unique a unique sound neil young for example i could sit and listen to neil young with his guitar uh forever but I find he has a sonic quality. Maybe it's his playing. Maybe it's his voice. I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is that I do not like this very much. I, I assumed you weren't going to like this too much, Matt. I wrote down that it was the polar opposite of Boz Skaggs' lowdown. Seriously. So our next sketch is called Lunch Counter Reunion. And this one was written by Marilyn Suzanne Miller. However, I have seen people credit to uh, Bruce McCall. But uh, watching it, I think it's it, it seems more Miller-y. Um, so they're at the Woolworths lunch counter, hashtag bring back the Woolworths lunch counter. And it's Ralph Bort, played by Dan Aykroyd, and Patty Rivers, played by Jane Curtin. And they've met up at this lunch counter after uh, 10 years, I believe, after uh, high school. He was a nerd. She was the head cheerleader. 
and uh, he's trying to make her remember him. And he keeps referring to like her underwear showing when she was doing cheerleading stuff and talking about how he was the president of the AV club. He then mentions that he went to Vietnam. Uh, he claims to invented the phrase, would you believe? And she'd been divorced. He'd been to community college. I mean, this did not get many laughs. It's not overly funny, but this might be one of the most brilliantly written sketches that has been on the show. This is ridiculously real. Aykroyd's delivery is awesome. Curtin's reactions are great, but there's just no real laugh out loud jokes there. This is weird because I loved this sketch, but I wished it was in any other context. This one was a very unique bit. Uh, Dan, Like you said, Dan was fantastic in it. Jane, also really great performances it almost struck me more as what's become more popular the last you know decade or two more of like cringe comedy like it's not there are no jokes but it's just it's you can feel the awkwardness of everything around we talked earlier about you know the issues you know 46 years ago with uh the swine flu vaccines and stuff dealing with russia and all this but I found this was the one that most reminded me of modern days because it's a loser from high school who thinks because he bumped into you know the popular girl now they're adults and hey look she's not perfect so maybe you know maybe I have a chance with her now it just struck me as like Dan was basically playing the internet before the internet existed as far as like social media and these losers who haven't moved on past you know past their high school days yeah and it was very cringeworthy it was probably the saddest sketch i've ever seen on snl that's not necessarily a bad thing uh yeah i don't know dan was great this was very unique but it was also just creepy i loved it this guy is real this is definitely based on a real experience i bet a lot of it was probably just transcribed from the actual conversation <laughs> these these men are real and Dan Aykroyd did it brilliantly. I thought he was so obnoxious and just so in your face. And he wouldn't shut up. And even when she was maybe willing to talk to him, he just kept talking over her uh, like some sort of idiot blowhard uh, who would, you know, be smoking at the Woolworths counter. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. And uh, it, it seemed it was almost too on the nose, uh, sort of like how I felt about the Ruddles. But uh, he just kept going over the top, uh, classic Dan Aykroyd. And it made it for me. And knowing, like you said, that it's uh, attributed to a female writer, it makes me think this definitely is a very real thing that happened, which makes it even sadder and cringier. <laughs> but I mean, I can't say nothing bad about the performances or the writing. Very non-SNL type sketch, even for a time when they were doing more ex experimental things. Well, Matt, you've become a real fan of her writing. I mean, she did the slumber party. She did the would you look at it sketch. She does these ones and Jane always shines in them. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a interesting to me to hear you say that because I don't I don't have a, a running tally or anything of who wrote what. But sometimes I do wonder particular writers I might enjoy more than She's... others. So it's fun to hear you say that. Also, too, speaking as a former prom king, I am tired <laughs> of all these random skeezy girls coming up and throwing themselves at me now that I'm older. It's just it's so awkward. I could have written this. It's like a slice of life. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Dan Aykroyd's name was Bort because my son is also named Bort. <laughs> <laughs> we then go to uh, Garrett Morris sitting in an office and I thought, oh, great, Garrett has a sketch, but no, he's just throwing it to Mr. Bill. So it's Mr. Bill in his set and Spot comes in and Mr. Hands takes Spot away. 
Um, and then Mr. Bill gets his arm torn off. Dr. Sluggo comes in and does acupuncture on him. Set, he gets set on fire and he's either run over by a skill saw or a, a belt sander. Then Mr. Bill goes to a party and he gets stepped on and is stuck to a guy's shoe. This was terrible. I, I didn't laugh at this once. Oh man, I loved it. This was, this was a big hit for me this episode. Such dissenting opinions on this episode. I really enjoy it. It's interesting. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Bill uh, really cracks me up. He's a classic. It worked for me this time. I just find something about the, the brutal claymation, the constant cuts to his O-face, uh, the, the voice. It works for me uh, for what it is. Doesn't overstay its welcome. I, I really enjoyed it. I laughed. Yeah, I'm probably a bit more in the Keith camp on this one. I didn't hate it, but it was just more of the same for Mr. Bill and more of the same with the intentionally high-pitched uh, sh shrieking is can be a bit grating. Still one of the highlights of this episode, despite not being great, because I do like Mr. Bill. It's just not one of his, not one of his best outings. No, this is the worst Mr. Bill I think I've seen. We then go back to the studio, or back to, yeah, studio, and uh, Karen Black is singing 10 Cents a Dance. Now, I don't know if it was my audio or the audio at the studio or just Karen Black's voice, but it was so high that it was hard to make out anything she was saying. She finishes the song, and she goes to a salute to American coinage, and it features Garrett singing Pennies from Heaven in his Sammy Davis Jr. impression. Chevy sings Put, uh, put Another Nickel In, and then Aykroyd sings, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? And then Belushi sings, One for My Baby. And the Chiron, while Belushi sings, talks about uh, some, some some thefts around the office of change and whatnot. And then uh, it, it escalates to Chevy's Porsche went missing. And they're all afraid to confront John because of his Rastafarian friends. This was not great. I mean, it was it, it looked kind of fun to do. The Chiron was dumb. It was nothing compared to what they did with Garrett the last season. And yeah, I couldn't make out a lot of Karen Black's audio, so this didn't uh, this didn't do it for me either. The second Karen started singing, I just thought, oh man, Matt's gonna hate this. You know, the actual guest doing her own musical performance at the end. It seemed like the guys were having fun singing about you know these coin related songs that's the only thing i can say about it it's uh it's interesting because uh, you know i hate all the music in the episodes i hate all the music there was just something uh, in my opinion so off-putting and strange about karen black's performance that it was almost like watching some surreal 70s film uh so i was able to look at it through a different lens not of necessarily uh, you know, oh, stuff came out for an extra song or, oh, God, James Taylor's back or something like that. And maybe that's because of who and what Karen Black is in my mind. Uh, but I, I thought it was a weird, surreal 70s fever dream that uh, I actually found interesting to watch. No interest in the music whatsoever. The, the, the coin stuff at the end, I can take or leave. You know, they, you're, you're right. Everybody was having fun. I, I was oddly hypnotized by that bizarre, in my opinion, performance from Karen Black. And that's the uh, that's it for the show. I mean, there's no goodbyes on this one. I assume that they'd run long, but as Chili mentioned, maybe because they were in a different location, they didn't uh, they didn't pull the camera back as they do. So let's jump into the epilogues. The host Karen Black will return in a few years' time to host again. Uh, John Prine, however, does not come back. Prine released his last album in 2018. And sadly, was one of the more high-profile COVID deaths we had in 2020. Um, and like I said, he left a legacy that will be mined for decades. So rating the host, 
For me, Karen Black, this was a terrible night, and I don't know to what degree of that falls on her herself. She was definitely off in a few sketches, but uh, I'm also wondering, like, how much was bad writing or bad directing or just lack of energy from the cast affecting that. Her monologue, I really enjoyed. Her singing was bad. That might have just been audio. She seemed to at least be on key. All things considered, like top to bottom, I really can't say Karen Black was a good host tonight. She did a few things well. I liked her monologue. She tried, you know, when she was the moderator in the debate, for example, she was doing something different. But yeah, as far as everything else, it would have been, you could have plugged a lot of other people in and I don't think it would have made much of a difference. So it was very tofu. She wasn't bad. She sort of just absorbed what was around her. And unfortunately for her, what was around her tonight was not that great. If she was a weird uh, choice as host, the big thing, I guess maybe not weird, but uh, she was a weird host. The, uh, the big character for me was that was that she didn't really have any jokes i just thought her performance of the debate moderator was so fucking off the wall that i couldn't stop thinking about it and she definitely performed well here and there i feel like they probably didn't know what to do with her maybe they they were she showed up and she was like hi i'm karen black and i'm fucking strange and they were like well shit i guess here's some stuff and they just ran with it uh maybe she wasn't very engaged or, or involved backstage she had her fucking kid in her monologue for god's sake so yeah probably matt mid-tier host for me uh but s- some of the weirdness was certainly charming for me so the music uh i don't know where to slot this john prine is a thinking is thinking person's music and so far for me a lot of the bigger hits is just fun stuff um, he's not high energy and it's not love ballads, uh, of all the other hosts, he's probably most similar to Loudon Wainwright, the third, who was way back in the Robert Klein episode, but he's not as showy and as, as big as, as Loudon Wainwright is. And I, I also question like, to what extent did this crappy episode have to do with John Prine, not really hitting, uh, hitting a button for me? Yeah, I would, I would say him and Karen are very similar in that. Just middle of the road. He did one song I liked more than I thought I would. And then that made me look forward to his second song, which I liked less than I thought I would. So he just, he cancels himself out. Yeah, I'm not going to go out and listen uh, to anything myself personally. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Uh, I know he's uh, very hipster famous uh, great songwriter, bit of a, a legend to some people, certainly. Uh, it's just not for me. All right. So what was the worst sketch of the night, fellas? Oof, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, like John Prine's music catalog, this is, uh, this is quite a mine to go into. Yeah, this is a bottomless lake of bad sketches, this episode. There's <laughs> the Amish video, I did not enjoy. Catherine the Great, I did not enjoy. The Cupcakes one, I did not enjoy. The, even things like the opening and weekend update, which you can usually rely on getting a few chuckles out of. There was nothing to it. Um, I think for me, I'm going to have to give the worst sketch probably to the cupcake one. At least Captain the Great, they tried something and they had costumes and all that. The cupcake one was just one joke. Maybe it was much more controversial to say the word cancer back then. And that was what they're hoping to get the laughs out of. But it was just a damn squib. Awful sketch Mm -hmm. and a night of mainly awful sketches. Catherine the Great was it for me. Uh, I found it really boring. I didn't like it. Um, I, I didn't think the jokes were there. And I, I, But you know how I feel about uh, the cupcake sketch. I certainly enjoyed it more than you guys. So a little bit of a flip-flop uh, for me there on that one. Chili and I just happened to land on different sides of the fence. Yeah, I went with Catherine the Great as well. It was, it was 
too long for what it was. If it had been maybe just that horse bedroom scene, that might have worked for me. So uh, what's the best for you guys? High school, Dan Aykroyd in the diner. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. His performance was great, and uh, it was a great parody of definitely a, a real person. They both did a great job. Yeah, same here. Uh, I'll call it like the incel sketch, because I'm sure that's what he would be in today's time. But yeah, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin with the high school reunion sketch, I guess we'll call it. My biggest laughs were Amish, and that was my pick for a bit. But uh, I, I switched it over to the lunch counter one, too. It uh, certainly didn't make me laugh the way the Amish one did, but this was uh, this was quite good. It hit on every note except, you know, making you laugh out loud. So I really like this. And I really want to take some time and maybe get all of Marilyn Miller's sketches that she writes over the years and watch them independent from the show because I think it would be quite good. So here's your star of the night. Who uh, who won your 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 coveted MVP of the night? First of all, I'd like to give a shout out to Jane, who after having more stuff to do the last couple of weeks has really kind of pushed to the back, uh, but did well in everything she was given. But my star for the night is going to be Dan. Between obviously we were all pretty big fans of the characterization he had he had in the Woolworths lunch counter scene. But also, I enjoyed his performance as the, I guess, bank manager, bank teller in the Amish bit as well. And it wasn't his best bit as Jimmy Carter, but he did well in that one too. So, yeah, I'm giving it to Dan. That's a times two for me, for for Carter, for the high school guy, and uh, the most consistent performance throughout the show. Can't fault Dan Aykroyd for anything he did tonight. Not to say that there wasn't, I mean, Jane was fine. I even didn't mind Belushi tonight. But it was Dan uh, making us laugh, at least sometimes, to save this. For the first time in a very long time, I'm actually going with Chevy. The cold opening was not great, but his Ford was good. Update was weak, but I liked Chevy's delivery. I thought he was great in the Amish one. And uh, he did an entertaining horse voice. Um, and even his singing bit at the end was was kind of funny. But it's a bad sign for me when when a horse voice is what puts you over the top. So overall, this was a bad show. The energy sucked. Maybe it was a change in venue. Maybe it was the chemistry. Maybe people were butthurt that Chevy came back. Maybe Chevy was butthurt that people did well while he was gone. Who knows? The bads in this show far outweigh the goods. We see Baba Wawa becoming this year's Emily Latella. Catherine the Great was way too long, and it was a build to one joke that in itself wasn't funny. The audience did really get into John Prime, though. They really did like him. I like the Amish bit. I like the Miller bit. Weiss was better than the last couple, but uh, he's nowhere near where he was. The worst, Mr. Bill. I kind of got the vibe on this one that maybe this was a lot of good ideas in the writer's room that just didn't uh, get executed well. And that's probably the nicest I could say about these these sketches. To me, this is the weakest show we've seen yet. And uh, I gave this one a 3 out of 10, which is the uh, tying Diane Cannon for the lowest grade I've given any show yet. Well, I'm matching you with a 3 out of 10. I'm not sure if this is the worst episode I've watched with you guys, but I think it will probably go down as the least memorable. Um, when the highlight of the episode for me is a sketch that is not funny, being the lunch counter one, it was well done, but it wasn't funny, and it is a comedy show. 
it was just everything around this was ho-hum that I don't want to say people didn't try, but it just kind of felt like just a bunch of things slapped together. And I think it was Matt made the good point. It didn't seem like they knew what to do with Karen Black and John Prine didn't bring much energy to it. So yeah, I am giving this one a three out of 10. A touch more grace from me with a four out of 10. Uh, Just a touch though, because uh, some of it was just kind of bizarre to me. And maybe they were trying something bizarre because Karen Black was there and maybe other people knew that she was in some weird shit. I don't know. But I really think that came uh, a lot after this episode. Neither here nor there. It was one of my least favorite episodes we've ever watched. Not into the music. Didn't know what to do with the host. Uh, Everybody, you know, nobody tanked it or there there was nothing to me that was like, oh my God, what a train wreck. But uh, a lot of the times it was just boring. Uh, and you know, unless we got those Dan Aykroyd pops and yeah, no bad four for me. It's hard to forgive boring. Sometimes you can forgive weird. Sometimes you can forgive even offensive, but boring. That's a hard one to a hard one to get over. So, uh, let's see. 3.33 is our score for this one. And that now puts that as our worst episode to date, scoring even lower than Diane Cannon. Now, over at the IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, they actually gave this a 6.7. Which that's pretty is, terrible for them, isn't it? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Keith. That, oh, yeah, no, that's weak for them. That's weak. That's on the weekend for them. And this is the 19th worst episode of the year for them. So according to them, there's three worse than this. And this is the 416th worst episode of, uh, to date. And that's based on uh, the scores from November of 2021 when I last checked. Good news for you guys is you know you have probably been another 400 or so episodes that are going to be worse than this one. (laughs) And you'll probably be along for about 300 of them. (laughs) Probably. Every one of them has a half-decent to bad Gary Weiss film and at least one appearance of Indira Gandhi. I was going to say, one bad uh, racist Indian accent. Chili, again, thank you for taking another bullet and and sitting through what's widely considered to be a rough one. Yeah, thanks, Chili. No problem. I'm actually happy that I got to be a part of what is now the worst episode that you guys have done. So I felt a little bad before. It's like, I've done all these terrible ones. I'm not in the worst ones. So this is my my WrestleMania moment, guys. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for having me part of this one. Matt, this has been a pleasure. Another another fun one, even if the show was hideous. This this was an interesting one, I must say. So we're going to be back in about a week with oh thank god steve martin making his debut with musical guest kinky friedman you got to be excited for that matt yes quite and mark will be joining us for that one well 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 (laughs) (laughs) look who gets steve martin (laughs) i see how it is yeah Mark mark has done his time he did louise lasser and ron nesson so it's uh i suppose yeah, One of us yeah. has to claw out of the <laughs> out of the doldrums. Mark gets stuck with the ones we hear are bad, but turn out not to be that bad. You get stuck with the ones we hear are not bad and turn out to be shit. So yeah, we'll be back in about a week. But until then, we'll be having weird 70s fever dreams where we disagree about details, but agree on the big picture here in S and Hell. <laughs>